Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, everybody. This is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. Today's topic is understanding how your customer thinks with my good friend, Ann Holmes. Say hello, Ann. Hello. Glad to be here. Thank you. And I'm always happy to have you on my podcast. I work closely with Ann. We work with our customers in transportation and logistics, helping them sell more services. Anne has been on my podcast many times, and I kind of have hit on her background and how we met and all that many times. And I thought I'd do something slightly different this time. And I was going to just talk to you about Anne is a complete basketball freak. This, well, just March Madness is over. So Anne is back in the loop. So Anne, tell us about your favorite team and your, your favorite obsession. <laughs> Well, I love college <laughs> basketball. I look forward to March Madness, but I watch the basketball throughout the season. I love to see the the teams develop. I happen to be a Michigan Wolverine. That's where I went to Go school. Blue. Go Blue. And I really enjoy watching the John Beeline coached teams. So I hopefully my season goes all the way through to the final game. Not this time, unfortunately. But I, I that's my favorite thing, though. I enjoy college basketball so much. It's, it's wonderful. So, yes, I'm back in the loop. I'm, I'm um, <laughs> away, from my, away from my TV. In fact, I did even drive down to Des Moines to see the first round. So I, I really do en- enjoy the sport. So. But I'm back. I'm back. I'm back to being regular, Anne. And also, I'm also a Michigan Wolverine, and Anne goes ahead and comes up with all these nicknames for all the players early in the season and then references them throughout the season. Now, yeah. and it's, it's an inside joke that I don't always understand. Yeah, yeah. I like, to, I like to give all the players names. And I just think when you watch college basketball, you get to be up close and personal with the coaches and the players. You get to see their faces and all that. And I think that's actually appeals to me from a coaching perspective. Being a coach myself, I'd like to see all that unfold. So there's a, an additional bonus of just watching that interaction. It's wonderful. Which brings me to today's topic. So today's topic, again, is understanding how your customer thinks. And when I asked Ann, when we talked about doing this podcast, I asked Ann, what is the one thing that the people we're working with together, who you're coaching, what one thing do they get that they didn't expect to get? What is the cool takeaway that they didn't plan on? And she said, understanding how the customer thinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell us more, Ann. Yeah, so using the actually the basketball parlance, it it's, was a game changer. So when I work with individuals, we have a section that we work on called temperament, and temperament is basically understanding uh, at a fundamental level the differences between or among how other people think. So it's easy to see, and the tips are immediately helpful. And I find that when I'm done with those coaching sessions, the reaction is usually, wow, I see this, I'm going to go try this, or I'm working with a customer now, and I now know I need to change my approach a little bit. So it's immediately helpful. And so it's a great topic to talk about. 
Yeah. So, and of course, we all want to understand how our customer thinks, but don't they all think differently? They do. Uh, absolutely. The world is made up of individuals. And so you're going to see, you know, a wide variety of behavior. However, this idea of temperament is being able to take a calibrated guess as to how they think. So if you think about north, south, east, and west, so you've got those general directions. And so the compass will tell you go north, south, east, or west. What temperament will tell you is there's a general direction that you head with certain types of temperament. And if you can identify that general direction, and it's fairly easy to do, then your set of strategies for working with the customer will change just like if somebody tells you head north or head south, it's the same kind of thing. You, you're you looking at temperament as a way to calibrate which direction you're going to go with them. And with the goal, obviously, as most of us are salespeople, the goal behind all this is I want to sell more services. So if understanding how they think, understanding their individual temperament will help, then that seems like a worthy thing. I understand why they say game changer. Yeah, it really is. It's how you communicate with them, how you prepare for a meeting, the types of questions you should be prepared to answer. All of that becomes easier to envision when you have an idea of the temperament or the direction you need to go with them. So how many different temperaments do you have to teach us about today? Well, there's four, just just like the directions on a compass, north, south, east, west. There are four temperaments. Temperament has been around a really long time. It is, the Greeks actually came up with temperament several thousand years ago, but the modern day version of it has its roots in the Myers-Briggs personality assessment. It's an assessment that's been around for 70 years. And from those 16 types, 16 personalities, you can actually group them into general categories that is known as temperaments. So there's some science behind it. It's not, it's not just a a philosophical sort of a endeavor. There's actually some some science behind how what these temperaments are, and in fact, if you if any of you are, are parents out there, you'll notice that your kids are born with a particular temperament. So they're not all the same. There's a sort of calibration that happens that makes you a generally a certain way versus another. Yeah, and if I could add something before we get into the temperaments, and is. I know you're a speech pathologist in your past life, and mm-hmm. I know that makes you a brain expert. They've actually mapped the brains of people to prove out some of the Myers-Briggs, haven't they? Yeah, they have. They have. There's a actually a, a guy down at UCLA named Dario Nardi, and he has done some EEG work around personality types and you know what areas of the brain tend to be more light up a little bit more for various personality types. So yeah, there's there's been some of that as well. So so this isn't myth, this is science and uh, mm-hmm. getting onto it. So Anne, tell us about the four different personality types. What are the four? Okay, so there are four. I'm sorry, I'm sorry not personality types, they should say temperaments. Temperaments, yes, there's four. So the first type is known as a traditionalist and sometimes you'll hear, hear the term guardian. And they make up actually 40% of the population. So there's a lot of them. And these are individuals who like to follow things tried and true. They like to know about 
past successes as a way to calibrate toward future successes. Um, We'll go into them a little bit more here, but generally speaking, these are individuals who tend to be risk averse and tend to like a lot of structure in how they operate. The second temperament is known as an experiencer. Sometimes you'll hear them called artisans, and they make up 30% of the population. And these are individuals that are looking for something that is efficient and simple. So they tend to be very, very good on the spot problem solvers. You know, in logistics, you might see them in operations. You might see a lot of them there because that's where they really flourish. We can talk more down the line here where we might see some of these temperaments, but that's just kind of one example. The third is... What percent do they make up? 30%. So 70% of the population is either a traditionalist or an experiencer. 40% is traditionalist and 30% is experiencer. The next type is the theorist or the conceptualizer, and they make up about 15% of the population. And this is sort of the Silicon Valley mindset. They tend to be the, the future thinkers, technological innovation. So that's, you know, where they tend to be, these are, again, these are generalizations. These are general descriptions at this point. And then finally, the idealist, which is another 15% of the population. And they tend to be individuals who are interested in personal development. And you might see them, for instance, in human resources. You might run into all of these guys in sales. These are just generalizations, but they are clues to start figuring out who you're talking to or or who you're going to encounter. Yep. And if I could add in, I know you and I are both in that last bucket, the idealist, the 15% Mm -hmm. of the population. Mm -hmm. And again, and we're doing personal development a lot of times. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's not a surprise that I ended up in coaching and it's not a surprise that I was worked with brain injured before that because I was always about getting people to be at their best. And that's that's straight in the idealist category. And it's to make it all about me, like I like to. I worked much of my early career, the first 20-some years of my life, in engineering. And that is a world filled with traditionalists. And I would say probably conceptualizers also, maybe experiencers, but not very many idealists. Yeah, (laughs) very few. Yeah, so I know when I used to go talk to my bosses, who I'm convinced were all traditionalists, I would have to almost psych myself up not to make sure I wasn't getting off track because they did not like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly, that's a great example. That's a great example because your natural tendency is to be cordial, to connect, to to build the relationship and their natural calibration is around the things that need to be done that day and, you know, get to the point and all of that. Not that you can't step out of your temperament and behave a different way, how you behave and what you're calibrated toward are two different things, but you know, it's it's still it's still really important to understand that natural calibration. Yeah. I had a boss who told me, every time I ask you what time it is, you tell me how you made your watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas an experiencer or a traditionalist would say, just tell me the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. And so let's get in a little more detail on each one of these groups. Take us through each one of these groups and tell us Describe the group. I know you have some famous people who are in each one of these groups and 
help us understand each of the group and how I can identify them. Because ideally, when we're done here, you'll be able to identify, you know, quickly who you're talking to and adjust your communications to understand more about how they're thinking so you can connect better. Okay, so we'll talk about those, but I'm going to tell you, Joe, just to be prepared, at the end, I have four quotes from, or a quote from each of the temperaments, and I'm going to present them to you and see if you can figure out what their temperament is. So just so you know, I'm giving you an advance, (laughs) a little bit of an advance that you're going to get a pop quiz at the end. But let me talk about these temperaments. And give you an idea of what their vibe is when you meet them. And then we'll talk about what this might mean for sales. Or maybe you'll, maybe we'll just talk about the vibe first and then we can cover that next piece of it. But anyway, so when you're talking about a traditionalist, a traditionalist would be somebody like Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett is a highly successful individual, obviously. Warren Buffett made his fortune by taking very specific steps, sequential, when he was investing. He did not jump from point A to point Z in one leap, but went from A to B to C. These individuals tend to be very detailed and step-by-step, and they look at facts and past performances. They tend to be low risk. They don't, they're the type that will bristle at something that seems really pie in the sky or very much a future thinking kind of thing. Not that they can't contemplate it, but typically their future thinking has to be based on past results. So, and they're very time conscious. So these are the kinds of individuals that if they say they're giving you 15 minutes, that doesn't mean 20 or 25. And it means that you get to that meeting on time. These are people who, if you're not of that mindset, you might find yourself calling them rigid because they are so time conscious, but that's how they're calibrated. So, And if I could add something, I remember one of my bosses who I'm going to say was a traditionalist. He was a very high up. He had probably 500 employees. And I remember when I would meet with him, he would have me on his calendar for 15 minutes and I'd go in with an agenda for my 15 minute meeting with him. It'd have 10 items. And sometimes he would look at it right away and go, number one, yes. Number six, yes. Number seven, no. Tell me about the rest. And as we would go through them, we would sometimes be done in seven minutes of my 10, yeah. 10 items. And one thing I always remember is if I ever said we we're in engineering, so automotive engineering, and I would say, yeah, I think. And then he'd go, do you think yeah. or do you know? <laughs> exactly. None of this thinking out loud stuff. Uh, <laughs> I know. And I would always go, I said, I think because I don't know yet. He says, well, you come back when you know. <laughs> very, that's a, that's, that would be a very typical interaction between somebody who is an idealist and somebody who's a traditionalist would be, you know, coming in and you know, really, really have, you better have it together to, to address those things very specifically and very efficiently. They're not, they're not going to be about small talk generally. If there is, and they may be a little bit, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be for a long period of time. They're going to really want you to get to the point. (laughs) So, and that's hard to do if it's not your natural calibration, because you might feel, oh God, I got to go in. He's so rigid. He's so, you know, but he's not, he's efficient and that's how he gets his work done. 
Yep. Yep. And look, they're 40% of the population. And as you said, these are the traditionalists. They skew probably really high towards senior management and they kind of, in a lot of ways, define the workplace. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, traditional corporate America is absolutely a traditionalist structure. You know, you you have steps that you take in order to get from one spot to the other, and it's based on past performance and criteria that are is, is well established. So it's not the, we're going to take the leap of faith and you're going to just, you know, progress you know, we're not going to just put you in a higher level because we're taking a leap of faith. It's always based on past performance. And so that's, a, it's a strong force in the workplace. Yep. So what's the next group? So the next group is the experiencers. Sometimes they're also known as the artisans. They're calibrated toward making things simple, efficient, with a tangible payoff. So an example of somebody that is an experiencer is Richard Branson, the individual behind Virgin, the Virgin Company. So Virgin Music, Virgin Trains, Virgin Airplanes. They're all about this customer experience and making it simple, elegant, accessible is how they're calibrated. They have a core need for this. They So one time, Joe and I, who are in a different temperament. We were working with a customer and we were going to give a proposal to this customer. And this customer was an experiencer. So think to yourself, simple, elegant, to the point. And Joe and I have a a lean towards making things broader. This is connected to this. This is connected to that. So when we sat down and we looked at this proposal, we realized that this proposal was really long. And not only that, it contained a lot of offshoots as to why this was the greatest thing that this guy ought to do. And fortunately, before we got to that meeting, we had that aha moment that this guy was an experiencer. He had been in the logistics world, starting as a truck driver and working his way up through ops, et cetera. A very, very tangible, very efficient, move along kind of a guy. And we realized we weren't going to get anywhere with that proposal because it was it was too large, it was too complex, it contained information that wouldn't be relevant to him. We thought it would be because that's the way we think. But when we're talking to this kind of guy, he wants it straight and to the point. So that is another temperament that you'll run into. They're 30% of the population. Think of somebody like Richard Branson when you think about the experiencer. Yep. And I just was looking at some notes and one of the things that describes those group is fun and playful. And Mm -hmm. I think of Richard Branson, it does seem like you would work your butt off working for him, but it does seem like it would be somewhat fun place to work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and, and that's true. When you do uh, run into an experiencer, they're usually relaxed. They're not as time efficient as the guardian. And you'll see that they are a little more relaxed, a little bit more playful, uh, a little bit more how you doing. Probably a lot of the business is done with some sort of friendly, playful sort of setting. Maybe you've gone out for a couple of beers and you've set set the deal there or you've gone out onto the golf course or or something like that. I mean, they they very much are about this playful piece. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yep. And, and before we get to the other groups, mm-hmm. traditionalists make up 40% and experiencers make up 30%. So I think if it went in doubt, you can say, 
70% of the population is either a traditional or, or an experiencer. Right, right. And I suspect certain sectors, in fact, I, I know certain sectors will see more of a certain temperament than other temperaments. So in the world of logistics, I suspect there is a number of guardians and traditionalists, and, and traditionalists <laughs> even more than what you would expect in the general population. You're going to see a lot of those guys. We'll get right back to the podcast in just a moment. If you sell transportation or logistics services, the Logistics of Logistics can help you sell more. Our customized program will help you understand your sales personality, including your strengths and blind spots, get more sales leads, and improve your communication and salesmanship. We can also position you as a recognized industry expert and help you reach your target audience. To learn more, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, so take us to the other groups. Okay, so the next group are the conceptualizers. They're also known as the theorists. And these people tend to be long-term in their thinking. They're strategic and long-term. And they're often looking at things that are cutting edge. So not what worked before, but what we project might work five years down the road. What's really going to be the thing five years from now? They're future thinkers. One of the companies that I think is a good example of the conceptualizer is Flexport. They're very much technologically driven. They are future thinking. They're giving a solution that will take a little time to implement now, but long term, this is going to be where it's at, so to speak. They very much tend to be future thinkers. An example of a future thinker or a, a conceptualizer is somebody like Elon Musk. So he's not talking about making a better gas-driven car. He's talking about making the electric car. So they're taking that one step further as far as their thinking goes. And here's the thing. They may be right about that future. Oftentimes they are. Sometimes they're not. But that's the language that they speak. Yeah. And you use the term conceptualizer. And I think earlier when we were uh, prepping for this, you used the term theorist yes. for that same group, yep. right? Yep. So these are, so these are the, the strategic guys, they're idea guys, they're the future mm -hmm. and they're testing theories. They're testing theories. Yeah. Silicon Valley is, is the hotbed for this type of thinking. So if you think about, you know, the, all of those tech companies, Apple, et cetera, et cetera, these are the people that anticipate your problems before you even know you have them. Which is kind of interesting. And if you notice Silicon Valley, and I'll just use Apple as an example, is as Apple started to grow up, what they want to do, as soon as they were publicly traded, they wanted to bring in a CEO who was much more, I don't know, uh, something as Scully, he was either a traditionalist or an experiencer. He probably was not <laughs> one of these other groups. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's hire the adult to rein this in. Yeah. I mean, that they are often, the other temperaments often are the guys that come and make sure that those structures are adhered to. The conceptualizer often will have a, you know, a view as to how strategically this should play out long term. And then they may rely on the traditionalist to, you know, make sure that those systems are adhered to. One of the things I think it's really important to keep in mind about the conceptualizer, because they're, this is how they can be very different than all the other ones. And there's this lean toward wanting to debate. So they will 
you may go into a meeting, let's say if you're a, a salesperson and you're talking to a conceptualizer and you have an idea of something you would like to present to them and you feel, you walk out of that meeting thinking, oh my gosh, this guy just chewed up everything I was presenting. He just chewed it up. And then a week later, you get a call back. Okay, let's do it. And you think to yourself, this doesn't even make sense. I felt like I just got, you know, I got everything was was laid bare on the table and chewed up. And yet now he wants to work with me. Well, that's one of the general tendencies that a theorizer has or a conceptualizer is to parse things out by way of debate, get all the perspectives on the table. Yeah, I'm surrounded by these conceptualizers. I know Steve Elwell, who I just had on my podcast. He's one of those. (laughs) My daughter, Kelly, is a conceptualizer. And actually, so is my son-in-law. But what was interesting is Kelly said to me years ago, yeah, I was arguing with them and they didn't like it. And she said, but they don't understand that I only argue with people I love. <laughs> which, which is, yes, very, very true. It's actually, if they're, if they're willing to engage in a debate with you, this is often a sign, a sign of respect. I have two conceptualizers in my family, and I learned long ago that if, if they're willing to have these debates with you, these arguments, et cetera, they actually respect you. <laughs> As a parent, I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> right, right. But uh, yeah. So, and there's only, I was going to say there are only 15% of them. So you don't encounter them at every turn unless you maybe go to Silicon Valley, for instance. But, but you'll know them when you see them. Yep. So take us to the next group, Anne. Yeah. So and did I give an example of conceptualizers? Did I actually give you a... a no, no. Oh, Elon, Elon Musk. I think I did because I talked about electric cars. Okay, so the last group, and this is the one that Joe and I are in, and they're called idealists. So idealists are individuals, you'll often see them in human resources, but you can see them in sales too. We actually just had three idealists in a row for coaching clients for our our program. So they're often in sales too, but they tend to be authentic, collaborative. They are individuals who are constantly learning and are paying attention to what can I learn from this? What's, you know, uh, mistakes tend to be learning tools. They are also relationship oriented. So these are the individuals that are going to make sure they've connected with you at some level. And they're also guys who are often, if they're in sales, they're going to truly believe the product at a core level because these are individuals that really, really try to stay authentic with their values. So, Joe, you gave a great example of yourself as an idealist working in an engineering world and describe sort of how you found your niche in engineering, even though you were an idealist. I kind of moved more towards process and a lot of future stuff, but I also liked the idea of being on stuff that was not as nailed down. So if you could be early on in a program, it was less regimented. Mm-hmm. I think what's really struggle everybody struggles now in engineering in, in some ways because it is we have processes that you have to follow and a lot of people go I didn't go to engineering to you know connect the dots. I wanted to do it myself, but ultimately I moved more and more towards the people side. Mm-hmm. So if there was something that was I got my masters in education so I could become more and more involved with people. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting too cuz you're in the sector here of logistics. You're in that sector. You're you're an expert. You've had a lot of experience in it. You were in automotive, which is the biggest and baddest of all logistics sectors. And 
yet here you are with the logistics of logistics. So you, your niche within this space has become more about the interpersonal, helping individuals be at their best when they do their work in this space. You're a blogger, et cetera. You've made a, a transformation towards something that really is in alignment with your temperament, even though you're still in this logistics space. Yeah. And it, it did take some time to get a move from, because I think in a lot of ways, I really enjoyed engineering, but you make that move because it just feels right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so, and this is where the big test is. You're going to test me on some some quotes, and I'm going to try and tell you which group they fit in, okay. and then we'll wrap this. Okay. I hope I don't fail my own podcast. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know we're putting you on the spot here, but you know, Joe, you got to take some risks. Okay. So here we go. So I won't tell you who said this because we've already talked about these names, but I will give it to you after you get the question right. So. Which temperament might say complexity is your enemy? Uh, not idealist. I know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, experiencers like things simple. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So the idea that complexity is not, uh, does not have a great deal of appeal to these individuals. If you look at somebody trending towards simplicity, you're probably dealing with an artisan, right? They don't want long proposals, right? Artisans or experiencers. Yep, exactly. And that individual who actually said that was Richard Branson. Richard Branson has been known to say this more than once. Complexity is your enemy. Okay, you ready for question for your next one? Yep. Okay. Yep. If the future does not include being there among the stars and being a multi-planet species, I find that incredibly depressing. Uh, you made that easy for me, Anne, because future-driven is the conceptualizer or the theorist. Yes, exactly. And that is an Elon Musk quote. So he uh, is, that's what he might say. Okay. All right, next one. Why do I talk about the benefits of failure? Simply because failure means stripping away the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than I was. Yeah, that I know has got to be idealist because I know you, I know it's not traditionalist for sure. They would not like the whole idea of failing. Yeah, I know idealists that we think that way. Yeah, and this one probably made you tingle to the bones. Like, yeah, this is what <laughs> this is my this is my calibration right here. This is my true north. That's my vibe, Anne. That's your vibe, yeah. So that was said by J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter books. So you'll notice as we're going through these, each of these individuals are highly successful in the business world, highly successful, uber successful. Each of them made their way by way of leveraging their temperament. All right, here's the last one. I don't look to jump over seven-foot bars. I look for one-foot bars to step over. Ah, that's, that's going to be a traditionalist. They want that process, that step-by-step. Mm-hmm. No risk. Right. They're not pie in the sky. They want that step-by-step. And that was Warren Buffett. So, you know, we've got four people who are highly successful in business. They're billionaires. You know, if uh, success is measured in dollars, they've definitely passed that bar. But they've approached things in a very, very different way. And that's the key to all of this. When you are dealing with somebody of a different temperament, so Joe and I, for instance, are the the idealists, we really 
have to be ready to speak a different language to the customer. And fortunately, there's only four of these to really consider as your first approach. Calibrate North, South, East, West. Calibrate theorist, traditionalist, experiencer, or idealist. Yep. And you've conceptualizer and theorist is the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, and bringing it back and to wrap this thing up today, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand how our customer thinks. So understanding how our customer thinks is going to help us hopefully do a better job of serving the customers we have and ideally help us win some more business. So to summarize this, I'm going to, I'm going to give you each of these four groups and just tell me how do I recognize them and how do I best engage? So starting off with the traditionalist or the guardian, how do I recognize them? You're going to recognize them because they're going to be time efficient and low risk. Ah, okay. And they might say something like, do you think or do you know? Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. (laughs) How do I engage with them? Okay, being very detailed and step-by-step, making sure you have facts about past performance and be organized. In other words, when you go in there, have your act together. Yep. How about the experiencer? The experiencer, you're going to see them be a playful, but simple and efficient, and they're looking for tangible payoffs. So how do I engage with those guys? Yes. So you want to keep it brief, but prove that you know the details. You want to make sure that you have a bit of a casual approach and talk about immediate benefits and use straightforward language. Straightforward language is really key. No fluffy words and platitudes. They just want it straight up. Okay. So tell me about the conceptualizer. How do I recognize them? Okay. So they're long-term thinkers. They're strategic and uh, cutting edge. They tend to be very attracted to cutting edge technology and this debate thing. The ones that are read, uh, that would like to engage in a debate with you is a great way to recognize them. So how do I engage with them? Okay. Keep it high level, big picture, future thinking. Add as few details as unless they asked for them, don't come in with lots of details that they don't necessarily want to hear because they want to connect the dots themselves. And then you're looking at how will this look, how will this play out in, you know, down the road? Should I argue with them if they want? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's funny. This is an interesting one because if you're not comfortable debating in the first place, you might throw in the word. So it sounds like you want to debate this a little bit to understand it better. Use that language, you know, I, I, yes. uh, yep. So, and then they'll be, yes, that's how I understand. They'll, they'll immediately, if they're theorizers, they'll immediately glom on to that suggestion that let's debate this so we can get all the thoughts out on the table so we can understand it better. And I would say, don't take it as being attacked or uh, don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, yeah. And that's something that can happen if you're not used to the style of interaction. Okay, so the last group, idealists, which is people like me and you. Yep, they're going to want to be collaborative. So they're going to be really working on making sure everybody's on the same page. They're going to be looking for this authenticity. So they're going to be making sure that whatever they represent is really in alignment with the things that they personally value or else they'll lose energy. There's going to be a bend towards learning and personal growth. Excellent, excellent. And thank you so much for taking us through this. Oh, you forgot a part. You wanted oh. to know how to how to connect with them. Yes, yes, yes. How do you engage with people uh, like you and me? Idealists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Future goals, impact on people, big picture, and make sure it's a little bit more personal if you can. 
So if you're talking to somebody who likes that personal connection, to make sure that you, you offer that up as well. I feel very strongly about that, Anne, as I can tell when I'm talking to a fellow idealist, because they they kind of want to know a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. And, and I sometimes feel weird when somebody wants to get right down to business, like some of the traditionalists. I recognize that's how they're bent, but yep. I always feel like, isn't it weird that we're starting to talk business and we don't know even know each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say the overall tip would be, is once you start to understand these different temperaments, these four temperaments, is to just to kind of clarify, like, you know, looks like you'd like a lot of detail. And if they'll say, yes, I do, I want detail, I want to know the past performance, you know, you can throw out those words with those customers to right away confirm that your hunch is correct, that they're a traditional or traditionalist, or the hunch is correct, that they're a, an experienced, or, you know, you can just, or, you know, or with the uh, theorizer. It looks like you want to debate to understand this better. If they, you know, they're going to nod emphatically, you'll know you're on the right track. Yep. So to wrap this up, Ann, thank you so much. It's always mm-hmm. wonderful to have you on my podcast. If people want to know more about understanding their customers, understanding temperament, understanding their personality type, all that kind of stuff, that's a big part of the program that Ann and I work with. Mm-hmm. It's a sales program and I do more of the logistics and the marketing side and the sales side. And Anne is very much the understanding temperaments, understanding your personal strengths and weaknesses or blind spots, as she calls them. And so if you should want to know more about this, please reach out and connect with us. And then also I will add Anne's LinkedIn profile to this podcast so you can connect with her on LinkedIn. I'll put a link to her website, even though we usually work together, at least with logistics guys. and. Mm-hmm. And if we can, I'll, uh, if you can find something, I'll put a little resource to mm-hmm. uh, understanding the four different temperaments. Mm-hmm. I know you, sure. I know you're a little snobby about that. You feel like our approach is the best and there's nothing else good out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing is too, is, is that it's the more that you can uh, facilitate the application of this stuff, the better the outcomes are because there's like anything on the internet, there's stuff all over the internet, but sometimes you stumble upon a site that's inaccurate or uses this information in a way that you put people in a box. And that's not what it's meant to be. It's a way of getting a general idea of how people are, keeping an open mind. But if sometimes if you go to the internet, they're going to box and say, this person's this way, this person's that way, and that's it. And so that's why I'm always a little reluctant to just send you out on an internet chase because not everything out there is accurate on any topic. I can say this as a blogger that every time I see uh, something on a blog, I always think, are you an expert in this? Because I've written articles where I'm not the expert, but it's my opinion and there's a difference. So yep, yep. anyway, and thank you so much for sharing this and thank you all for listening to my podcast. I appreciate your continued support. Have a good day, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 